listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So we're starting a new series during this Easter season called Living Stones. And it's, um, it's verbiage that we actually picked up from 1 Peter. 1 Peter kind of tells us, or in 1 Peter, Peter tells us, do you not know that, that, that your bodies are living stones being kind of built together into a holy temple, a, a priesthood, um, a nation for God? So it's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? Uh, living stones. Because we know that stones don't actually live. And stones are pretty stable, like they stay put. Stones don't just get up and move around, but things that are living do, right? Things that are living aren't, I mean, if they are stable, they're not necessarily stationary. And so this kind of harkens back to um, the Messianic confession that Peter had given earlier in the Gospels, where Jesus has said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're Jeremiah, some people say you're one of the prophets. But Jesus says, well, who do you all say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And Simon, we're going to call you Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, meaning upon Peter and upon Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A couple of things there. One, the church is not mine. It's not yours. We say this a lot when we come to the table. When I say, this is the table of the Lord, not of the church, but of the Lord. You've heard me say that how many times now, right? It's because it is the Lord's. Not only is the table the Lord's table, but the church is the Lord's church. Sometimes we'll use you know, the personal pronoun to talk about a church, like this is my church. But when we say it's my church, it doesn't belong to me. It's the church I belong to, right? Um, Cyprian, one of the early church fathers, said, No one can have God as their father who doesn't also have the church as their mother. Hmm. Why don't you think about that one for a second? No one can have God as their father who doesn't also have the church as their mother. Like we weren't hit by a bolt of lightning, the faith was kind of handed to us, and we've become a part of it. Like when we're baptized, we are baptized into the body of Christ. That's another metaphor for the church, right? For the people of God. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, becoming a part of something. St. Paul would write to the church in Corinth, and he'd say, Did you all not know that your collectively... In the Southern colloquialism, we would say y'alls. Y'alls body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not that you're a temple and you're a temple and you're a temple and you're a temple. Paul didn't have any concept of that. He's a first century, second temple Jewish rabbi. <clears throat> There's only one temple at a time. And what's really interesting is when Paul wrote that, there was a temple that is a physical building that was standing in Jerusalem. And he's kind of dismissed it. He's domesticated it. And he says the true temple is not the building standing in Jerusalem. The true temple is your collective body. 
you as a group, and not just you as a group in Corinth. It's not like that the Corinth was the temple, but rather that all the Christians together, wherever they might be, make up the one and only body of Christ, and that one body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we launch into a series on living stones, part of what we're doing is trying to faithfully respond to the good news that we heard last week. Last week, we heard about the resurrection of Jesus, that the tomb is empty. And in the Christian calendar, Easter is not just a day, Easter Sunday, but in the Christian calendar, Easter is a season. It's called Eastertide. It lasts for 50 days, well, 49 days. It goes from Easter until Pentecost. Pentecost actually means 50. So in this time, this Easter season, this resurrection season, we're going to be looking at a collection of texts, mostly from 1 Peter, uh, talking about kind of now what or so what. Because the tomb is empty, what does that mean now for our lives? So what it means today, and and, and thank you to uh, Justin for reading these texts What's interesting about those two texts that were read today, the first comes from the book of Acts, and it's Luke telling us a story about what Peter preached. That was a sermon of Peter's. And then the second text was from a letter that Peter wrote where he's basically saying, you guys remember that sermon I preached back on the day of Pentecost? Like, let's, uh, let's go back to that. This is, this is like him now publishing uh, a piece about his sermons. I should do that. I should publish some of my sermons, right? You've heard me preach them, and I'm going to write them down. That's what we have here. He's preached a sermon, and we read that bit, right? Somebody's testimony of what he preached. And then we read the part where he published, where he said mostly the same thing. So first, a little bit about Luke's account of the sermon. So Luke starts out, and it's, it sounds a lot like what we heard last week. Um, this man that you know, Jesus of Nazareth, you'd heard of him, you'd seen him. He did these mighty works through the Spirit, right? Through God, he was able to give sight to the blind, to, to, to heal the lame and the deaf, to provide food, you know, multiplying bread, to calm the storms. You've heard what he did, and God did all those things through him, and you killed him. And you use the Romans to do it. He says, you use the hands of those outside the law. That's a not so cryptic way of referring to the Romans. The hands of those outside the law. You crucified him using the hands of the Romans. Man, he really lays the blame right at the foot of his fellow Jews. But he says, but God raised him from the dead. And because of this, we've been given life. And he says, this is what our scriptures had testified to, which is remarkable because the scriptures had not said any such thing. It is very difficult to read the Old Testament and get any reference to a resurrection at all, more or less a resurrection of the Messiah. What's he talking about? You know, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? That's why they're sad, you see? It's It's a great one. It's a classic. I didn't come up with that. I'm obligated, actually, to tell that joke in any reference to the Sadducees in a sermon. You have to tell that joke. It goes along with it. But the reason the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection is because the text never mentions a resurrection. Right? They read, the Sadducees were reading the text much the same way we read the text sometimes. Right? And 
if we were to read all texts that way, we would be in all sorts of trouble. If you pull up to a stop sign, what does the stop sign say? It says stop, exactly. So what do we do? We stop. And having stopped, we then go, because the sign changes and says go. Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't do that, does it? So, you know, sometimes I hear people say, well, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, the stop sign never says go. Yet you know how to read the sign. And so we've collectively agreed now how to read that sign. Now, Peter is telling us, when you read Psalm 16, which is the psalm that Sarah read for us in our call to worship, right? That's where we started. Peter says, when David wrote Psalm 16, he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. So you go back and read Psalm 16, and the psalmist is saying, look, God has so taken care of me all of my life that even if I find myself in hell, I have no worries because I know God will be there. That God will not let me perish. That God will lift me up. Now, I think everybody else before Peter who had ever read that psalm read it as though the psalmist was talking about themselves, as though David was talking about God's faithfulness to David. Except that's not how Peter's reading it. Peter's reading it not simply as God's faithfulness to David, but of God's ultimate faithfulness to God's ultimate representative, which is Jesus. And now Peter sets an example for us for how we too ought to be reading the Psalms. That the Old Testament turns out is Jesus Christ concealed. And the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. So that it's all Christ. The creeds work the same way. We say a little bit about the Father. We say a little bit about the Spirit and the church and forgiveness. But mostly what we say in the creeds is about Christ. For he is the main character. He's the point of what we're confessing. And we find the same to be true about our scriptures. That all those that are before him, when properly read, point towards him. And all those that are after him, when properly read, reflect the reality that he is. And this is now where we find ourselves. So that Peter, later, as he's publishing his sermon, so to speak, right, he's writing a letter And he's saying basically the same thing. Look, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. This this changes everything. All the calculus about how you thought the world worked, you now are going to have to calculate that differently because we serve a God of the resurrection. And he brings up the fact that he knows that the people he's writing to have suffered. How many of you Has it now been years since you committed your life to Christ? And how many of you since that time have you not run into all sorts of troubles, hardships, sicknesses, troubles in your family and troubles at work, various forms of suffering? Peter says, look, I know that you suffered, but your suffering won't last forever. But you know what will last forever? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been resurrected now to live forever. And that is imperishable. That lasts forever. And if that lasts forever, then that's what our hope is in. 
that we have something to look forward to where our hardships, our sufferings are temporary, but our salvation is eternal. Now, as you know, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. And as an Appalachian American, a.k.a. hillbilly, we had our own kind of expression, particularly of Pentecostalism. I am an Appalachian Pentecostal. And so some churches, right, didn't believe that you could lose your salvation. Interesting phraseology there. We did, right? We didn't call it that, though. We called it backsliding. And in our, our church, we said we didn't just believe in backsliding. We didn't just believe in backsliding. We practiced it. <laughs> Sorry about that. But really, I kept, I kept having to get saved over and over and over. Right? I got saved every Sunday. I got saved multiple times in the summer at church camp. I got saved any time we had a guest speaker. Some, some of my friends that went to, they were Presbyterian or Lutheran or Baptist or something, they'd only been saved once. I had no idea what they were talking about. They'd only been saved once. I hadn't just been born again. I'd been born again and born again again, born again again again. And we would sing a song. We would sing a song in church called Blessed Assurance. I had no idea what we were singing about. How could we... What, what was blessed about the assurance that we had? We had no real trust that the work of God was going to be in any way permanent. Like, we felt like our sufferings were going to be with us forever, but we weren't quite so sure if our salvation was going to be with us forever. We had taken Peter's message and we had completely misunderstood it. We had flipped it on its head. What was perishable was God's forgiveness. And what was imperishable was, the, was our sin. We felt like our sin was going to last forever, but we weren't so sure about God's forgiveness. And we got the message exactly wrong. How do you get something exactly wrong? Like, I like to play darts. And I realize when you're throwing darts, you're not always kind of hitting it exactly where you want to, right? You're not always hitting the bullseye or you're not always hitting the triple 20 or the double 20. If you're kind of counting down, you have to hit it right on the dot. But what in the world would it even mean to hit it exactly wrong? You'd have to have another dartboard set up behind you, throw it at one and somehow hit the bullseye behind you, which would be quite talented on the one hand. But it seems to me that's exactly what we were doing with 1 Peter. We were throwing the dart and somehow it was like zooming around, coming back past us. We had to get out of the way. And then it was landing on a dartboard behind us and we were saying exactly the wrong thing. Trust me on this one. In fact, don't just trust me. Trust Peter on this one. In fact, don't just trust Peter. Trust God on this one. Your salvation is in God's hands. There is a blessed assurance that the one who has begun this good work in you can finish this good work in you. Put your trust in him. Yes, we killed him. But 
God raised him from the dead. And we can even read the Psalms differently now and say that our Lord would not be trapped by death because how could his body be corrupted because God was going to raise it. And this is the good news. This now is what makes us living stones. We would not be living stones had it not been for the resurrection of Christ. But because of the resurrection of Christ, everything has changed. And we now can live a certain way. And the way that we live, this is kind of bringing it full circle back around to Peter's confession. The way that we live is not only going to have an effect on us, it's going to have an effect on our families. Not just our families, but our communities. And not just our communities, but our country. And not just our country, but our world. Because again, this is not just me, it's us. And it's not just us here in this room. It's all of God's people. When, when Christ says to Peter that <clears throat> you are a rock and upon this rock I shall build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's another text that I think we've read really poorly. We've read it as though the gates of hell are coming after us. And we're going to have to kind of hunker down and kind of protect ourselves. Like cloister up really tight to make sure, right, that we make it. Because the world, as you know, is going to hell in a handbasket. And if we survive it, whew, maybe, you know. God's going to come down and kind of swoop us up. But that makes it sound like the efficacy of the death and resurrection of Jesus is just barely enough to save you from the fire. It's just barely enough to, to get some of us out of this mess. Gates don't uh, march around. I mean, they can open and shut. But gates are pretty stationary. I've never been driving down the road and saw some gates kind of just moving down the road. Right? So if the gates are stationary, typically we would think of a rock being stationary. Right? A stone is a stationary thing. I also, in driving, I've never seen stones just kind of just moving on down by their own volition. But this rock of which we speak is originally Peter, but not just Peter, but Peter's confession of the Christ. And as Peter would say, it now represents all of us. Living stones are on the move. Jesus' church, again, the church belongs to Christ. Jesus' church is the church triumphant, we used to say. That was the term we used. Because it was on the move. The church is growing. The church is God's agency of grace and mercy and kindness and goodness and love and justice. And as we are filled with God's Spirit and as we embody that, we are living stones and the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail. It's hell that won't make it out in the end because the church will so grow God's will will so be done, right, that it will accomplish all that there is to accomplish. And that is blessed assurance. That, that is assurance 
because it's not, it doesn't, its outcome, its efficacy does not rest in me or in you, but rather it rests in God and what God has done and what God is doing. Someone can't just snatch it away. And you can't just misplace it like you do your keys. Right? Are you saved? I had my salvation on me just a minute ago. I don't, I don't know what I did with it. My mother, may she rest in peace. To the day she died, worried about her salvation. How could she not, you know, in the church that we're in, right? Where you had to be saved every day. She, she couldn't thank the Lord for the food we were about to eat without also asking God to forgive us of our sins. It was constantly there. There was no sense in which God's forgiveness could actually be realized and appreciated. Sometimes, if you realize it, you can just say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Now, now, Lord, help me to be like you, one who loves and one who forgives. Which is exactly what we pray, right? Forgive us our sins or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's exactly how Jesus taught us to pray. So, my fellow living stones, get ready for the next few weeks as we investigate what Peter has to teach us about what it means to be the church, about what it means to live a life in the light of the resurrection. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.